Good evening. We're thankful you were here this evening. Thankful if you were with us this morning as well. And appreciate always the opportunity to study together. But even more than that, we appreciate the opportunity to fellowship with one another. It's always good to encourage one another. And we're thankful for the time that we've had together to do that today. Um, we appreciate so much your attendance this evening and the chance that we have to study together. If you have your Bibles, you can be opening to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1. And we'll go there in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. If you've got your bulletin in front of you, I meant to, to tease the lesson a little bit this morning, but I thought that having in the bulletin the title might be enough to interest a few folks. I don't know how many of you would recognize the, uh, the emblem that's on the screen there or maybe the picture that's on there now. Um, but if you don't recognize that, you might recognize that young fella. Um, as Mr. George Lucas, who was instrumental, and of course the mind behind all the Star Wars movies that took place. The first symbol that was on the screen just a moment ago is what's considered in the, the Star Wars universe, or whatever you want to call it, as the Order of the Jedi, or having to do with the Jedi there. I read an interesting article online, it was from several years ago, and I thought it would make an interesting lesson for us to think about tonight. But it carries along with it the idea... And it kind of sprung forth from an idea that several years ago, it was reported that in the United Kingdom, in the area of the United Kingdom, in London and England and all those places there, there were more Jedi than Jews or Buddhists. Now, I'm trying to do a little bit of research on this. Uh, it had to do with the census that they were taking. It had to do with being recognized by the government. <clears throat> It had to do with the fact that uh, there was an online petition, if you will, or an online push to get people to claim to be of the Jedi faith system or Jedi belief. Now, if you're like my family, we're, we're pretty big fans of the Star Wars movies, and maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but you're no, no doubt familiar with some of the things that take place in that, the, the mystical idea of, of, of someone that can sort of control the universe, if you will, with their mind or, or with some type of power. Uh, there's a lot of lessons that probably have been done over the years to this ex extent. The idea, even behind the movies, of course, that, that there is a dark side or an evil side, there is a good side. But believe it or not, there are actually many people in the world who would claim to be a Jedi or of the Jedi belief system. In fact, the fellow on the screen here is a man by the name of John Henry Phelan. I guess I'll do my best to pronounce it. Who in 2005 founded the Temple of the Jedi in Beaumont, Texas. And in 2015... The Temple of the Jedi was granted tax-exempt status, even, by the U.S. government. And if you were to look this up, you can find some information on it, this man and this Temple of the Jedi. But the organization lists about 16 different teachings of the faith, which, of course, seem to be based upon the things that you would hear in the movie. And it goes along with those ideas of a way a person would live, which is, of course, what we might call a system of belief or a system of faith, if you will. And, of course, to all extent, as much as we can tell, even George Lucas himself doesn't exactly endorse or been consulted with the governance of the Jedi temple rules or their structure, but yet they claim to be Jedi and to live by this belief system or this faith system, if you will. What are we talking about when we talk about uh, the Jedi in the United Kingdom or the Jedi even in Texas or anyone else that might claim some type of religion like that? What are we talking about? We're talking about man-made religion, very simply. 
man-made religion. And the question that I would ask you tonight to begin with is, is that something that's new? Is man-made religion, whether we talk about something related to the Jedi, something that we may be familiar with from movies that we've watched or things that we've seen on television, or whether we want to list a whole other section or set of people that might adhere to other ideas or other beliefs or other convictions, we're talking about man-made religion. And is that anything that is new? Well, that's what we want to take a look at in our few moments together this evening. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, we're reminded that God has made himself known to man. The Hebrew writer says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. God's made himself known to man, to the patriarchs and to the prophets. But of course, even though we see that written by the Hebrew writer there, that God has done this, we know as well that man has chosen to create for himself his own religions, if you will. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, before we see some encouraging words that we are reminded about in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 about choosing this day whom you will serve, but in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, the Bible says, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. You see, we know and we see and we understand that all throughout time, man has created for themselves their own religions. Again, it's kind of like I think we've said this morning, I feel like we've said it almost every lesson, but that's because it's true it's not something that just we deal with today. It's something that spans almost the entire history of mankind. So we think about man being here upon this earth, going even back to Joshua, and we could go even before that, that man has served himself. Man has created his own religion. So the answer to the question of the idea of is this new because we look at something, we, we talk about the Order of the Jedi, the Temple of the Jedi, we kind of snicker, we smile a little bit, we, we might have watched those movies and that's kind of funny to us, but it's man-made religion and it's something that's been taking place for a long time. If you have your outline in front of you or your bulletin, we're going to take a look tonight at several kings, beginning first of all tonight with King Jeroboam. King Jeroboam, and if you've got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, first of all tonight. 1 Kings chapter 12. As we oftentimes have to do, we could take a, a look at many different passages tonight to help make our points as we think about this idea of man-made religion. We only, for the sake of time, can pick just a few. But as we look throughout the Old Testament, there are many different instances of man deciding that he wants to do what he wants to do and setting something up in his own way. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we read about King Jeroboam, verses 26 through 33 there. It says in beginning in verse 26, we won't read the entire passage, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is, it's not a question, not is it, 
but a statement. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. You see, King Jeroboam of Israel determined that God's instructions for his people to appear in Jerusalem three times a year were of too great, and here's part of the key word, were of too great an inconvenience. Too great an inconvenience for the people. So he created two more regional, if you will, centers of worship here and had shrines and idols constructed and rejected the Levites as priests and took them from other tribes. If you've got your Bibles there in 1 Kings chapter 13 and verse 33. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. See, King Jeroboam had a bit of an issue, an issue in wanting to make his own rules and his own way despite the instructions that God had given to the children of Israel and to his people. In fact, we saw there in verse 33 of chapter 13 that he did not turn from his evil way, but we see here in this area of the Bible, in this area of Scripture, 22 times the Bible writes of his his legacy. And if you have your Bible open, there's still there. Look at chapter 14 and verse 16. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who sinned and made Israel sin. Clearly here, the Bible says 22 times in various other places that King Jeroboam caused the entire nation to sin and taking such authority to himself. He decided that he wanted to do what he wanted to do. He decided it was too great of an inconvenience for the people to maybe show a little bit of effort. And he set up his own way of doing things. Now, we've got a question tonight. A question that we want to ask almost each time of each point that we look at. King Jeroboam, did he have authority? Was he not the king? He had authority, it would seem. He was the king, but clearly he did not have the authority in the mind of God because the Bible again states that very clear passage 22 times that King Jeroboam caused Israel to sin. You see, these two questions that are on the the screen now uh, apply, interestingly enough, to the people we're talking about tonight because we throw the word king in front. We talk about the kings, the people who were ruling, who were in charge. But when it comes to any man-made religion, the idea, of course, has to do with authority and who has the authority. And we see, first of all, tonight here in King Jeroboam, that even though he did all this, and he did go through it, he was allowed to go through with it, and it did happen, and these things were set up, there is a problem here. And even in 1 Kings chapter 12, 13, and 14, we see a problem in a person who wants to set up their own religion in their own way. Number two tonight, and if you've got your your outline there, we're going to go down instead of across. So I think it would be down if I remember correctly. Uh, Down to the second line there, we're going to look at King Uzziah. 
for just a moment. And if you've got your Bible, you can be turning over to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And we've got another point to make here, another king to look at. And we got a few interesting notes about him. You see on the screen there, verses 16 through 18. But before you go there, go back to verse number 4 of 2 Chronicles chapter 26. What does it say about King Uzziah? And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Seems here that we meet a king who's doing what's right. A king who's doing good things. A king that is known as a good king. And if you've ever studied the kings, then, then it, you know you can make the list, you can make the columns, and look at the ones who would be considered good kings, and those who would be considered evil or bad kings. And we see those phrases, just as we did with Jeroboam, that he caused Israel to sin. And you see here in verse number 4, that a king is doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. But go down to verse 16. But, there's that little word. But, when he was strong... His heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah, the priest, went in after him, and with him were eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. And we even go down to verse 19 there, and we see that dreaded L word, leprosy, that strikes here upon Uzziah as he becomes furious here and angry with the priests. But we see a problem. We see a man who just a few verses before was doing what was right, but yet, when he's lifted up, when he decides he can handle it on his own, he can make his own decisions, and he wants to do this, he wants to go into the temple, he wants to burn incense on the altar of incense, then he has a problem. He's lifted up to his own destruction, and he transgresses. Now, we see someone here, if you recall our lesson even just last Sunday about being in the minority, we see just a few here who are gathered up in this minority. Uh, of course, they become the majority as they outnumber the one, but who are going to stand up against him, valiant men who are going to speak out and make a point and say, you're wrong. You're wrong for doing this because you know you're wrong, because this is not what the Lord God has said needs to be done the way that things are supposed to be handled. Now, what's our question? Did he have authority? Was he not the king and able to stand there and say what he wanted to happen the way that things wanted to go? It would seem that he thinks so, at least, as he goes on and goes through with this. But even this good king here sins by daring to go beyond what God has given them to do, beyond the instructions that he has said to live by. And we see a problem. And, of course, in the end, right here, immediately, we see some of the punishment that strikes, you know, that, that, that instance that we sometimes wish would happen, that maybe if somebody was wrong, we sometimes wish that something bad might happen to them in that moment. And I know it's not the right attitude, but that's sometimes what we wish. We, we want people to maybe get what they deserve, as we say. But here in this instance, as we see sometimes in the Old Testament and even in the New, that something happens immediately to someone who has transgressed the law of the Lord. 
And here we have another king who, who appears to have authority, who has the title of king, but yet when he goes to making his own rules and goes to making and transgressing the law of the Lord, we have a problem. Now, if you go to your third column there, or excuse me, your second column, but our third point tonight, let's talk about another king. You're not going to find him in Scripture. But if you look at King Henry VIII, you remember King Henry VIII, or at least studying him possibly in school? King Henry VIII, you're not going to find in the Bible. But what do we see? What do we recognize here? Nearly 500 years ago it was that another king, King Henry VIII, started his own church, if you will. If you think about the Church of England or the Anglican Church and the split off from the Church of Rome... Uh, there's a lot of uh, maybe disagreement or, or things that could be said there. Even doing a little bit more research on it this week. You know, if you go to the church, uh, the Anglican church kind of uh, headquarters or website, whatever you will, they'll claim it has nothing to do with King Henry VIII and his, uh, his wanting an annulment from one of his many marriages. But he does go off and sort of start his own church, if you will, appoint himself as head. He appoints priests. He appoints leadership at his discretion. Does it sound familiar? It may not be 2005. It may not be the temple of the Jedi. It may not be 1 Kings 12 or 13. But we see a king who wants to make his own decision. And because he does, today, if you look at it and you kind of take the estimates that people give, there's somewhere around 85 million adherents to the church the Anglican church that sort of was established here again, if you will, by King Henry VIII. And I ask the question one more time. Did he have authority? Was he not the king? He may not have been our king or the king of all the world at the time, but he wore the title of king, no doubt. He thought that gave him the power. He thought that gave him the mind and the ability to do whatever he wanted to do. Did he not have the authority to build his own church and to appoint himself as head? After all, he was the king. But yes, we're being a little facetious there with those questions and those statements because we know that's not the case. No matter if it's the, the Bible and 1 Kings or 2 Chronicles 26 or if it's King Henry VIII or Beaumont, Texas, there's only one king that has the authority and the power, and that's King Jesus you've got your bible tonight there excuse me your bulletin in your outline the last king we want to think about for a few moments here is king jesus what did he say in matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 we know we're familiar with the last part of the passage we know we're familiar with the title of this section if you will maybe the bible you have in front of you has a heading that says the great commission and we know that it says to go into all the world to go into the nations and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we, we go there and we forget about the end of verse 17. As he begins, he begins as that policeman that walks up to your door, maybe in the middle of the night to deliver some type of bad news or to ask you some questions at some point during the day. That policeman reaches into his pocket, he pulls out that badge and he says, by the authority of the police force of the government, I am here. Maybe it's someone else that comes to your door and wants to say, by whatever authority, I'm here to do such and such. Jesus begins the Great Commission by saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He, he gives us the task. He gives those gathered there the task to go, to go, and as you're going to make these disciples to baptize, to teach them, 
But he begins by saying, all authority has been given unto me. When we ask who has the authority, who is king, we think, of course, about King Jesus. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, we know that he says, after he has just given the example of washing the disciples' feet there in John chapter 13, and he begins that great and memorable passage about going and preparing a place, he says in verse number 6, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm sure that King Jeroboam spoke with authority. I'm sure that, that, that King Uzziah, I'm sure that King Henry VIII could speak with authority that when they spoke, people listened. But as Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's a pretty powerful words to think about there. And of course, on over in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, it's not, of course, Jesus speaking at this time, but in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, as Paul is writing here, he says, and he, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You see, when King Jeroboam or King Uzziah or King Henry VIII or anybody that we want to put forth is making these decisions and these rules, they want the preeminence. Paul says here, he is the head of the body. He has the preeminence. And as we think about King Jesus that we serve, the question begs again, did he, does he have the authority? Does he not reign as king? You know, when we think about it today, we look at the temple of the Jedi and we think that sounds a little silly sometimes. But there are, not, are there not places all over even these United States where there are unique names, where there are billboards portraying many different things, many different conventions or those that would claim to serve as pastors of places? Are there not others who would make decisions I think it was even just a few weeks ago that I mentioned it in the lesson, but that the Pope decided that he was going to change his mind, right, on something. So we'll just all change our mind on something. Who has the authority? You see, Jesus taught that when our traditions, when our traditions are elevated above God, there's a problem. You may recall in Mark chapter 7, as the Pharisees are asking him the questions there. And we know that the Pharisees wanted to separate themselves. They didn't want to, to be a, a, any way involved with the Gentiles. And they came up with all these rules and all these different ways. And you had to wash all these different things that begins the Mark chapter 7 uh, begins being discussed there. And as verse number 6 comes about, Jesus begins speaking and he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine, doctrines, the commandments, uh, commandments of men. And looking on down through there, he, he looks at these ideas and he mentions these things about keeping the commandment, keeping your traditions, the commandments of men. And he says in verse 9, all too well you reject the commandment of God. Again, we could go all throughout time. We could put up a timeline here and add many more people to the case, any more, many more people to the list of those who would claim that they want to do what they want to do. And that's going to go above God. But Jesus, King Jesus, reminds us that there is a problem 
when that is the case. We know and can read and understand that we should follow after God. His commandment, His will, what He has told us to do in His word. But yet time after time, all the way from the first Kings, all the way to 2005, all the way to 2018, we see people who want to do what they want to do and make their traditions or what they want to happen and put it above God. You see, when we think about that timeline, that history, lots of things change. Cultures change, ideas change, people change. But we know that God's word is settled forever. And tonight, if you've got your outline in front of you, one final thing for you to note down there. As we think about all of these examples and the many others that we don't have time to look at tonight, man-made religion is and always will be invalid. And whether it's Matthew 28, John 14, Colossians 1, and the other passages that we could throw up on the screen or look at tonight, we can be reminded that Jesus is king, that God is the God of heaven. And no matter what any person wants to put in front of others or what, uh, what any person wants to make as far as decisions, what any king wants to say, what any president wants to say, as long as we serve God and his word, King Jesus, and follow after what he has given, uh, given to us as instructions, then we can be right in the sight of God. May we continually strive to search the scriptures to find out these things and the ways that we should live and the things that we should do. I reminded as well, one final passage from 2 John verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. And he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. The question for us tonight in light of this lesson is, where do we stand? Who are we following? You're here tonight because no doubt you are interested in following after God. Maybe you've made that commitment. The possibility exists even in an audience of this size and this group this evening that someone is here who's never done that. We stop at the end of our lesson doesn't always apply maybe just exactly to the lesson. We stop to offer the Lord's invitation. Nothing that I can do. I don't have the power. No one here has the power to take away sin. But in light of man-made religion and in light of God's word, have you been obedient to God's word? Including the gospel plan of salvation. What it is that washes away our sins. Partaking in that and having our sins washed away by the blood of Christ so that the Lord can add us or add you to his church you can't begin to live faithfully to what god has given as his instructions you can't begin to live faithfully following king jesus unless you are gospel obedient and tonight if you're here and you've not done that we would encourage you we would be singing in just a moment to strongly encourage you to make that known to think about making a change and if you need to know more about that we would gladly study with you even this evening Maybe you're here and you have done that, but you've allowed man-made things, worldly things, earthly things to get in the way, to cause you to turn your back maybe on God and on Jesus by sin that enters your life and separates you from him. We're thankful for God's second law of pardon, that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light if we will repent of our sin and pray for forgiveness because we know that God is faithful. Maybe you're here need to become a child of God. Maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you need to take this moment to let something in your life be known so that we can pray for you and with you. 
It's the part, the beautiful part about being a part of this body. And we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand and as we sing.